Tis the season to shine with H&M. Discover the holiday collection and find fashionable pieces for your wardrobe or for under the tree. Get inspired and dazzle with this year's glam. From tuxedo styles, bow-detailed pieces, impressive prints, and more. From unforgettable looks to unforgettable gifts. With fashion finds to home decor, find it all at H&M. Treat your loved ones and yourself this season. Shop in-store or at H&M.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds, owner of Mint Mobile. With a message for everyone paying big wireless way too much. Please, for the love of everything good in this world, stop. With Mint, you can get premium wireless for just $15 a month. Of course, if you enjoy overpaying, no judgments, but that's weird. Okay, one judgment. Anyway, give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. So what we hear is that, okay, I shouldn't be feeling this way. Mm-hmm. And that for everybody else, it's easy to fix it because they just do yoga or take a walk or go to therapy and they're fine. There's something wrong with me. I'm broken. Yes. Right? Yes. And so what they'll do is they'll suppress those emotions. They will turn them off. They will say, I shouldn't be feeling this way. So I'm going to avoid these emotions the most I can. Imagine a life where you feel supported, connected, and understood. I get it. Being a mom is hard, especially when you're spinning so many plates. We exhaust ourselves trying to create the perfect life for our family. You deserve to enjoy your family without the stress perfectionism brings. On this podcast, I provide practical and relatable life experiences. I teach women quick and easy to use strategies to help them reclaim their identity, reignite their marriage, and enjoy their children. If you're ready to be challenged, then pull up a chair, grab a pen and paper, because it's about to go down. I'm Veronica Cisneros, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is the Empowered and Unapologetic Podcast. Suicidality and self-harming behaviors in teens have skyrocketed in the past several years, and the treatments that are designed for these issues are extraordinarily difficult to find. Parents are desperate and scared and often are afraid to address their child's behavior for fears of making it worse or don't know how to respond to extreme emotions experienced by their child. Today, Our guest will share some of the foundational concepts and theories behind suicidal and self-harming behaviors, and we will get all of the information with regards to what are the common questions that parents ask, what are some of the misconceptions. So today, let me welcome... Carrie Tool. Carrie, hey. Hey there. How's it going? All right. So Carrie Tool, let me go ahead and introduce you. Oh, I thank you. You are the founder and executive director of Castlebrook Counseling Services. You have received your master's in social work from Columbia University, where you did your training in DBT, and you've been practicing this treatment protocol for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. You are certified DBT Linehan board clinician, right? There's only mm-hmm. like, what is there? There's only like one 
400. 400, right? There's <laughs> only 400. I don't know where I came from. But it's that big. It's that major. It's that, right. In the entire country, 400. Yep. You definitely specialize in treating suicidal and self-harming teens and adults and their families with an additional specialty in LGBTQ and youth. Mama, the reason why we're on here is because I know how passionate you are about integrating DBT into schools, programs, communities, and especially about supporting parents of teens who are self-harming and or are suicidal. Mm -hmm. So I am so happy to have you on. Tell me your story. How did you go about like wanting and having the strong desire to go ahead and help teens who are suicidal? Yeah. So, um, I actually knew that I wanted to be a therapist since I was like 12 years old. Yeah. So, um, so it just was, you know, some of us are just born knowing that we're meant to do this work. Right. Absolutely. And, and so it was like a, a draw. Like I thought I was going to be a couples therapist at first. Right. And I was like, <laughs> no, I was in a picking a side and that's not going to work. So, um, so, but I got, you know, was a psychology major in undergrad and went to graduate school, um, to get my master's in social work and was trained in DBT there. And funnily enough, the class, um, that I signed up for was titled something like treating difficult women. So it was, this was at the very start of training people in DBT. So they were really not quite sure how to sell it. And, um, and I signed up for the class. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to figure out some family members. Right. And (laughs) so I took the class and it was all about DBT. And at the time it was really designated for people with borderline personality disorder. And these folks were suffering the most, right? They, They experienced such deep suffering, such deep pain and their behaviors can be really overwhelming for people who don't like get what's going on for them and that there's a biological component to this and that you know and it ties in so profoundly with that biological developmental piece that happens when adolescents hit puberty and everything kind of goes off the rails, right? Because statistically, suicidality and self-harming starts in seventh grade. Yeah. So like, I mean, could the data be more clear, right? Like this is the time to intervene, to teach skills, to do something different, and change the path of people's lives. And so that's the thing that has made me so passionate about DBT. And it's also Mm evidence-based, right? So there are, I think last count, like 56 plus randomized control trials. And most therapy doesn't do no this way. No, right? No, no. So DBT is one of the most researched forms of treatment and the evidence shows that it works. So I'm not an aha uh-huh therapist, right? I like stuff that works. I like stuff that shows results. I like to be able to know that I can help people. And that's my passion. And that's why I do this. Yeah, no, I love it. So you yeah. and I met at a conference and I yes. was just blown away just by the level of... um just the level of like excitement you had when you were talking about kids and what you do. And it was like, oh my God, I totally got to get you on the show because right now, I mean, I know you're seeing it in your practice, in my practice 
right now, the people that we're hiring, the clinicians that we're hiring must be trained and specialize in teens and suicide, right? Because it is, it is pretty big. Yeah. What would you say, what would you say is the number one thing parents need to know about self-harm? Mm-hmm. Um, the number one thing that parents need to know about self-harm is that it doesn't necessarily mean that your child is suicidal. Yes. There's a difference between self-harming behavior and suicidal ideation, right? Yeah. And obviously, like, we got to do something about yeah, self-harming. Because definitely. it is what Marsha Linehan, the creator of DBT, she targets it as she has us target it as a level one treatment target because it's, she calls it a rehearsal behavior, right? But for a lot of people, it's, it's a strategy. It's a coping skill. It, when the skin is injured, endorphins flood the brain and they're painkillers. So it works. Yeah. Right. It, It manages the pain that people are feeling and the pain center of the brain, whether someone's physically injured or emotionally injured, whether you broke your leg or whether you're depressed, the same part of the brain is lit up when you're in pain. Pain is pain, right? So when people engage in a self-harming behavior, it is an attempt to try to regulate the pain that they're experiencing, right? It's not attention-seeking. It's not dramatic. It's not the M word in DBT is manipulative, that yeah. word is forbidden in DBT because it it has like connotation of like this person's like intentionally trying to, you know, create this dynamic and it's it's all kind of part of an evil plan and it's not that at all. Right. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned something so big. Um Oftentimes, parents automatically freak out, right? My kid yes. is cutting. Holy, mm-hmm. holy shit, what's going on? My kid is cutting. Right. You know, they're going to kill themselves, um, you know, or they're just doing this because they want to get attention. Right. Or, you know, there's so many misconceptions that that come along with this. You know, mm-hmm. big one is, you know, this this means I suck as a parent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so with with cutting being a form, and I know it's so hard for you, you know, for parents to hear this, but with cutting being a form of some sense of relief, some sense of control, what do parents really need to understand? So I love that you, can you touch a little bit more on like when we cut, when a child cuts, it does send them into this state of Mm -hmm. euphoria, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Can you speak more about that? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you talk about like the biological sympathetic nervous system, parasympathetic nervous system, right? When our bodies, like this is how we evolved when there's fight or flight, when crisis is high and our brains, you know, have not evolved yet to the point to differentiate between an emotional crisis and a, you know, oh my gosh, I'm being chased by a saber tooth tiger crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's all crisis. And the way that if, if people don't have effective coping skills and in middle school, who has effective coping skills? Nobody, right? That the, the intensity of the emotion is so high and the brain goes into crisis mode, fight or flight. I need to take these emotions down immediately as quickly as possible. So 
one of the behaviors that often comes to mind, and it's not that, oh, if, I'm, if I say something to my kid and if I ask them, are they self-harming, it's going to give them the idea. Uh, the idea's already been there, right? So don't be afraid, parents, to ask your kid, are they self-harming? Are they thinking of self-harming? Are they thinking of ending their lives? Like ask. It does not raise the risk of those behaviors happening. It actually decreases the risk of those behaviors happening, right? So when we do engage in behaviors that damage the skin, right, our brains release endorphins and the endorphins, the serotonin and the dopamine are not just happy chemicals, they're painkillers. They're Mm -hmm. dual, they're dual action, right? And P.S., humans are not the only animals that do this, right? So if you've ever watched TV and you've seen the commercials come on with like the abused animals and Sarah McLaughlin singing in the background. Right, right. right. Yep. So animals, dogs, cats, you know, animals that are being abused or neglected, they will also do as a type of self-harming behavior where, where they'll gnaw on their skin or they'll lick a patch of their skin to the point where it's raw and bleeding, right? So this is something that is way deep down yeah. in the evolutionary brain, right? So it makes sense because it works, right? Definitely. And it's not the most effective way, right? Yeah. So what we teach in DBT is we take the shame and the blame off of these behaviors because we talk about the science of it. Like, yeah. of course, this would be something your brain would come up with to try to regulate what's going on because you have no other skills yet. Yeah. Right? So we're going to teach you other skills to replace those behaviors and to be able to tolerate those emotions, right? Yeah. And and this is going to be the journey that we're going to go on. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, can we talk about biosocial theory? And I know that's like, oh, some, right? And my yeah, favorite thing. <laughs> right? So can we talk about biosocial theory? And yes. one of the main reasons why I definitely want to talk about biosocial theory is because of that huge misconception. You know, parents get into this loop of, it's my fault. It has to be my fault. Or even worse, they'll go ahead and start pointing the fingers at their partner. It's your fault. You know, you're so hard on him. You're so hard on her. You know, of course she's going to be cutting. Or... It's the, it's the friends, it's the friends that they're right. around, right? Yeah. And so what ends up happening, what I find ends up happening for these kids is, you know, they have their parents that are arguing back and forth, pointing fingers at who it is. And then all of a sudden their phone's taken away, their main support system, right? All of a sudden their phone's taken away. And then now they're not allowed to hang around with Sally because Sally was cutting first and you're only cutting because of Sally. So now Sally, who's been your best friend and who's the only person that gets you yeah. is now also going to be the person that's going to be taken from you. Right. Right? So exactly. can you please help us understand yeah. like what this is? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and, and parents, you know, I actually run a parent group for the parents of the teens that are in our DBT skills groups because they need to know what's, what's up with their kid. Um, and you know, one of the foundational principles of DBT is that everyone's doing the best they can. Yeah. Right. The kids are doing the best they can with what they've got. The parents are doing the best they can with what they got. Kids didn't come with instruction manuals. Like the, the 
like worldwide trauma that we've all experienced, right? Like the amount of, you know, just systemic trauma that's happened in the past couple of years and even previous to that, right? With stress on these kids and like the diagnoses and the, you know, anxiety is skyrocketing, depression is skyrocketing, even pre-pandemic, right? So there's so much going on. And so to get into the biosocial theory, so this is something that Marsha Linehan um, realized that she was working with her clients to mm-hmm. do the treat, DBT treatment because she wanted to work with the people who were suffering the most. Yeah. She wanted to work with the people who were living in hell. Yeah. That was her passion. And so she brought these folks in and the time cognitive behavior therapy was the most evidence-based treatment that there was. And mm-hmm. so she got herself trained in CBT and she was like, I'm d- going to do this great work with people. And CBT is very change focused. So she brought these folks in and she applied this CBT in a very concrete way with them thinking this was going to be amazing and revolutionary, completely backfired. Yeah. Completely backfired. Her patient said to her, like, what? You, you just want me to change. You don't want to actually hear what I'm trying to say and da, 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 right? And she was like, oh my God, that's not what we're here for. So yeah. let me take, let me take a, a closer look at the people who are suffering the most. And she realized that there were these factors, these biological factors mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that they tended to have. Not everybody coming into DBT, not everybody who self-harms has this. Yeah. And it's very, very common that there are three main factors biologically that they have a higher sensitivity to emotion, right? And anybody going through puberty is going to have a higher sensitivity to emotion, right? Definitely. Yes. And those of us who are empath, right? Those of us who are therapists and clinicians, those of us just, just walking around, there's seven to 9% of the population has a higher sensitivity to emotion than other people do. Yeah. Right? So I'll ask a client as I'm doing an intake with them. I love doing this. This is my hook, right? So I'm like, so can you feel what other people are feeling without them having to say anything? Can you feel it in your gut? Can you read a room? Do you get the heebie-jeebies when somebody is kind of like not being disingenuous or you can't read them, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Can you always tell who the bad guy is in a movie before the plot reveal, right? You may be a high sensitivity person, right? That you feel emotions more than other people do. And that there's a biological factor about this. So one, this was a theory when Marsha like was developing this treatment protocol and science has since borne it out. So when we take these high sensitivity folks and we put them in a functional MRI, and we create some sort of emotional experience, we look at their amygdalas. That's the fight or flight, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So it all ties together, right? So the amygdala in the brain is like firecracker because in these high sensitivity folks, there's actually like organic differences in how the amygdala looks. So it's smaller and it's more densely packed. So it takes next to nothing for some sort of stimulus to set off these big emotions, right? 
And so we're very, very attuned to it. We're very sensitive. We're the empath of our friend group. We're kind of the therapist of our friend group. We go into careers that are about the arts, <laughs> right? Music, design, writing, therapy, yep. nursing, you know, all these <laughs> professions where you need to use your superpower, right? And when I frame this, this high sensitivity to folks who are just so exhausted by their emotions that this is a superpower. You just don't know how to harness yet. Yeah. I right? love that you mentioned I love that you mentioned that because I can't tell you how many times parents will come in. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And the minute they start describing their kid, it's like mm-hmm. she or he has always, they've all I mean, yes. just since they were a baby, they've always been hot-tempered. They've always been like you know, quick, very quickly triggered. And it's like, you know, we've all tried to kind of like, you know, ward ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. or trying to control what we're saying, or it feels like we were walking on eggshells. Yeah. You know, and it's like, ah, mm-hmm. let's talk there about biosocial is. theory. Right. Exactly. <laughs> let's talk about high sensitivity. Exactly. Right. Right. Because your, your kid's brain is built differently. Yes. Right. Yeah. Your kid's brain is built differently. And it Absolutely. is. It genuinely is. Right. And it's a superpower. Yep. Right. So like, because I've got the superpower, you've got the superpower, right? I'm all (laughs) girl. Right. And before we knew what it was, wasn't it so excruciating? Yeah. It was so excruciating. I assumed that everybody else had the same level of emotion that I did as a kid. And so when you know, there was like a conflict with a friend. And then I was like, well, they yeah. must know how I'm feeling. Cause I know how they're feeling. So they're doing, they're not talking to me on purpose. They're trying to hurt me. Right. And lo and behold, like later on in life, I realized like, no, I just felt differently. Yeah. Right. So we have a higher sensitivity to emotion yep, and we have a higher reactivity. Bingo. Right. Yep. Because if it feels bigger to us, we're going to have a bigger response. Yep right? Makes sense. The rest of the world sees that as being dramatic. And yeah. You're too, too much you're too emotional. You're too mm-hmm. emotional. Nobody can talk to you. Right. Nobody's and I, ladies, ladies, as you're listening to Carrie right now, I want you to think about, cause you know, we all have kids for the most part. Everybody that's listening is a mom, but I want you to like, if all of a sudden as Carrie's talking, you're like, Oh shit. <laughs> yep. You know, that's Tommy or that's, you know, Samantha or whatever, like I want to gr- me or that's me. Yes. That's me. Grab this a damn is pen and paper. Grab this a damn pen genetic, and paper. Yes. Right. Right. So it's just like, like, I tell all my clients, I'm like, this is just, it's just like, you know, hair color, eye color, freckles. If you have six toes, right. This is a genetic thing. Yeah. Right. Let's look back in your family. Right. Who yeah. else had a high sensitivity to emotion? Yeah. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and if you're thinking about that right now, um, Mm -hmm. if you're thinking about that right now, I want you to go ahead and like I said, grab pen and paper, take notes because I mean, Carrie right here is going to definitely teach you. But I also, I also want you to listen because we're giving you a whole lot of information. And as Mm -hmm. you're listening, I want you to just listen to understand this. The emotions are going to come up, right? And all, for some of you, you might go, oh my God, this is what's going on. For me, this is totally my Aubrey, right? This is, oh my gosh, this is totally my Aubrey. Aubrey, since since she was a baby, Carrie, and it, mm-hmm. it took me a minute to realize this just because we don't want to see it in our own kids. Right. 
We don't want right. to see it on our own kids, especially mm-hmm. as professionals. Mm-hmm. You know, and my Aubrey, she is, um, she's 15 now, but mm-hmm. like, holy shit, shit, she, she was a baby carry. Yeah. Like she would all of a sudden get in these rants where she would, and I'm, I'm giving you guys an example because I want to make sure where it's applicable to everybody. Right. She would get into these moments where she would get so pissed, Carrie. Mm-hmm. She had like the leapfrog little, you know, the mm-hmm. back in yeah. the day, the laptops. I don't know if they still have them, but, you know, <laughs> she's 15. But the laptops, she would get so pissed. Mm-hmm. She would grab it and she would chuck it down the stairs. Mm-hmm. She would get so pissed that we had, you know, those kid gates, right? We had those kid gates. Yeah. One girl would climb over it. She would climb over it or she would bang it really, really hard. Like... I'm like, oh, my God, I need to walk out of this house because these people, my neighbors are going to think I'm, like, beating her. They're going to think I'm beating her because she right. would bang it so hard. We ended up having to put two so she couldn't climb. But And she would get so her little palms. She wasn't even able to walk. Her little mm-hmm. palms were so red. And this is back in the day before I was a therapist. Mm-hmm. Had no clue that my baby was struggling with. High sensitivity, high sensitivity, high reactivity, right? Yep. High sensitivity, high reactivity, slow return to baseline. Slow return to baseline. Right? Exactly. That's the third piece, right? That right. For a lot of us, when we have these big emotions, they don't just like switch off. No. They like linger. They're there. Yes. For days, right? Yes. And so we're going to hear things like, aren't you over this by now? What's wrong? Can't you just let it go, right? No, we can't. Yeah. We don't we know how. We can't, right? We can't, yeah. right? So so these are like fundamental biological factors. And I'm so glad that I learned DBT before I was a parent yeah. because I, I'm a high sensitivity person. I see myself in this, right? And so- I've been, you know, since my kids were born, talking with them about what it's like to have sensitivity for emotions, how to self-validate, which is really the key to all these, you know, the behaviors to address the behaviors that happen, right? And letting them figure out how to tune into their emotions, don't suppress it. Right, yeah. because the social part of biosocial theory, and is it okay if I go on to into this? So I'm back and forth. Bio? I want it. So I want it. So I want to also. So we're gonna. This is gonna be a two part series, ladies. Mm-hmm. We're three. gonna go maybe three. <laughs> we're gonna go into what parents need to know about self harm, and then in addition to that, we're gonna go into how do you help your teen who's cutting right. And we're gonna. I want to save that for later. Yeah. So we have. So, so that we're speaking not clinical terms, but so we're speaking in like, you know, our our day-to-day terms, what we're saying is they're highly reactive, right? Mm -hmm. Very much emotional. You might think that, oh my God, nobody could tell you anything because you're so fucking emotional, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right? You might think this, and then you might think like, oh my God, you're so dramatic, kind of like what you were saying. And when Carrie, you're saying... They go, so it's kind of like this, you go from zero to a thousand, right? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And then, right. Have any of you guys ever been zero to a thousand? When you're at that thousand, it's like, oh, your husband better run, right? (laughs) And what you're saying by slow return to baseline is you and I might be able to go ahead and self-regulate, calm ourselves down. That's what we're saying, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But a child who is there 
when we say it's a slow return baseline, can you explain that a little bit? What do you mean slow return a baseline? Right, right. So when we experience emotions, like it's there's a biochemical reaction in our brain. We feel yeah. the emotions in our system, right? And when we have a high sensitivity, high reactivity, there's no middle ground. No. There's no ramp up, right? Nope. It's like it's on. Yeah, right? it's on like Donkey Kong. I'm dropping <laughs> I'm drop kicking everybody. Right. Everybody's exactly. going down. We're flipping tables. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. So and then for what happens with a lot of people is there it creates this loop, right? Where the emotions just go and go and go and go. And, you know, some people are able to kind of say, okay, like I'm really worked up. I really need to slow down. This is not helping me. There's a narrative in there that allows them to kind of like slow themselves down. And it's part of that biological sensitivity. And when you have that superpower, it's harder to harness, right? So we may see people, and I draw this on the whiteboard when I'm in a group where like there's a bell curve, right? Where we're going along, do to do something happens and we have a response to a situation and it's a bell curve, right? Yeah. And there are some people who are not at all sensitive to emotions. They have them, of course, but it's not a big reaction. This is my husband, the engineer, right? So- Um, funnily enough, therapists and engineers tend to partner up a lot. It's it's a balance kind of like one person handles the emotions, one pe- person handles the logic, right? So my husband, the engineer, like he's going along to do something happens and it's like a blip, barely yeah. like bloop. And then he continues on with his day, right? For me, right? And I can regulate myself usually, yeah. right? For me, like something goes along, something happens and I'm like, skyrocketed and I'm going to hang out in that emotion because I just need to feel it and it's not coming down and my brain is just going and going and going with it. And it's just how, you know, when the amygdala is is smaller and more densely packed, it's like, um, almost like a, a, um, what do they call them? The pinballs when they get kind yeah. of in that corner where everything's pushing back and bouncing, it goes beep, 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 yep. right? Right. It's like that in our brains. Yep. Right. And so we can't just like say, well, hmm, maybe I should think about this differently. No, no. It doesn't work like that. Right. When everything's like firing on all, you know, cylinders. Right. So we have to just kind of wait it out, honestly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And be able to, you know, one of the skills we'll talk about is self-validation and be able to say, I'm a high sensitivity person. This is how I'm built. It's okay that I'm feeling these emotions still, even though other people don't get it. Yeah. Right. And those are the things that help us to come down more quickly. I think one thing you just said, another misconception that I often get is, well, if I acknowledge it, then she's just going to do it more. If I acknowledge it, she's just going to do it more. So instead of me, I'm going to ignore it because I don't want her behaving this way at her grandmother's house. I don't want her to behave this way with her friends. Uh Uh-uh, we're ignoring it. Why is that such a dangerous misconception? Right, right. Because what the kid is going to perceive, right? And it's not what you're intending to say. No. It's not what you're intending to teach. For a lot of kids, that planned ignoring intervention works wonders. Yep. Right? If anybody is a teacher or knows a teacher, you've been taught this in how to manage a classroom. Yep. How to use behaviorism principles Mm -hmm. to manage a classroom full of 20 some odd kids, right? Yep. The planned ignorance, ignore it and it'll stop, right? Yeah. For typically wired kids, beautiful. 
for the high sensitivity kid, what they interpret is that I shouldn't be feeling these emotions because my environment is not acknowledging them. Yeah, there's something, there's something wrong with me, right? Mm -hmm. So there are three factors in the, in, in the environment, the social side of the biosocial theory, right? So if you have this high sensitivity, high reactivity, slow return to baseline, and your environment gets this about you and says, we value your sensitivity. You bring so much to our group because of it. Things turn out okay. Yep. Right. The world is a very invalidating place though. Yes. Right. And High sensitivity kids do not come with instruction manuals, right? So we use the same interventions with our other kids on this high sensitivity kid, and then it just like explodes, Mm -hmm. right? So with the high sensitivity kids, we have to be very mindful of um, negating, right? Like telling the kid, even with the best of intentions, it is always with the best of intentions. We love our kids. We do not want to see them suffer, Right. But when we say something like, you know, it's not that bad. Yep. Or, you know, you shouldn't be feeling that way. Yeah. My husband Just does get this it together. All the- Just mm-hmm. get it together. Right. Yeah. Right. Knock it off. Right. My yeah. husband does this all the time. And I want to like wring his neck where he'll say to my kids, like they're mad because they have to get off electronics or whatever. And they're like protesting. And he's like, you had electronics for two hours. You should be happy. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Right. So he's telling them how they should, quote unquote, feel, right? So my high sensitivity kiddo says to herself, ooh, well, I don't feel that way, but daddy's saying I should feel this way, so I'm wrong for what I'm feeling. Yep. My emotions are wrong. Yeah. Right? Most kids can shake this off. High sensitivity kids cannot. No. No. Right. So because the emotions are so big and the environment says you shouldn't be feeling that, they're going to start to question what their true, like internal experience is. Yeah. Right. Another factor is that the environment will minimize the effort it takes to feel differently. So it's that Uh, get it together. Right. Like just stop feeling that way. Knock it off. Just take a deep breath. Have you tried yoga? Go take yep. a walk, tr- take these meds. Let's go to therapy. Yep. Right. And this is the CBT aspect that Marsha tried to do that is very change focused, right? Yep. It doesn't work that way for high sensitivity people. No, no. It no. does not. It backfires, right? So what we hear is that, okay, I shouldn't be feeling this way. Mm-hmm. And that for everybody else, it's easy to fix it because they just do yoga or take a walk or go to therapy and they're fine. There's something wrong with me. I'm broken. Yes. Right. Yes. And so what they'll do is they'll suppress those emotions. They will turn them off. They will say, I shouldn't be feeling this way. So I'm going to avoid these emotions the most I can. Yep. Right. And it goes into this, like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine until the emotions get so big that they explode. And then the environment will often accidentally reinforce that explosion Mm -hmm. because then they come running and they're like, oh my gosh, we didn't realize it was that bad. Or they're down in the, the school adjustment counselor's office and, you know, they have to go get a screening or they have to go to the hospital and the nurses are really compassionate. And so like 
in their minds, they say, okay, so this is what it takes for people to hear me. Yes. Right. And that's where they get smacked with the label of manipulative. Yep. Right. But what they're really trying to do is just to get their emotional needs met. And the environment doesn't realize that they come with a different set of, you know, like instructions, instructions. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Right. Right. I know looking for the right therapist can be challenging. However, feeling overwhelmed and disconnected is even harder. Life is filled with several twists and turns, some more severe than others. We do our best to handle them as they come and find ourselves at a loss, not knowing what to do or who to turn to. The clinicians here at Outside the Norm Counseling are here to help. We are here to assist you through this time of need. Together, we will identify your strengths and goals and teach you healthy coping skills. Together, we will develop a plan to help you live the life you want to live. Our team is compassionate, genuine, and we take a great deal of pride in providing an empathetic, non-judgmental approach to all of our clients. It's time you've waited long enough, whether it be for you, your child, or if you're in need of a couple session. We are highly trained clinicians ready to guide you. Schedule an appointment now by calling 951-395-3288. Again, that number is 951-395-3288. We're looking forward to meeting you and being a part of your journey. So we have, I want to make sure we highlight that. We have those two components, high Mm -hmm. sensitivity, right? So it's Mm -hmm. the high sensitivity, high reactivity, slow return to baseline. Yep. Biological. And then we have the added environment, right? And so this is what's triggering a lot of our kids who are self-hiring, self, exactly. self-harming, self right? So we mm-hmm. have that component, biological. Right. Can you start talking about, so the invalidating environment? Yeah. Yeah. So the child who is in an invalidating environment, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how might that be part of you know, you mentioned right now they they suppress, they suppress, they suppress, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden there's that explosion. Right. That invalidating environment it doesn't mean to be invalidating. However, Correct. when you have a parent who was not taught how to self-regulate, who is not taught how to go ahead and self-validate, mm-hmm. what are maybe some things we should look at internally as a parent that might put us in a situation where we're creating an invalidating environment. So what are things that we need to look at within ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. So, and this is what I say in all of my parent groups is that we're all doing the best we can with parenting just in general. And then especially with high sensitivity kids, right? So everything that has been done as a parent was, is with the best of intentions, Yep. right? So I I approach this with so much compassion and so much appreciation. Like we're all just trying to keep it together, right? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So what, and it's a different language that these kids hear, right? The, The things that we say to our other kids work, right? But for the high sensitivity kids, it backfires. So things that we may accidentally say, right? Are the things like, it's not that bad. Yeah. Right. Or it's okay. 
right? If my kid falls and scrapes her knee because she was riding her bike and fell off her bike, right? And I go up to her and I say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah. Right? We're try- I'm trying to comfort, mm-hmm. right? That's my intention. I think I'm being comforting, yeah. right? My high sensitive and my lower sensitivity kid would be like, okay, awesome, cool. Give me a Band-Aid, we're good, right? My high sensitivity kid is going to read my emotion of yep. my discomfort, my worries, right? Because she has a superpower yeah, and she thinks her emotions are wrong anyway. Yeah. So she's going to suppress her emotions to try to match my emotions or try to take care of my emotions. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you said that. Mm-hmm. Yes. So most of the time, I want to make sure I touch on this, and and I want you to you want I want you to go ahead and um, add to it as well. Mm-hmm. We don't realize how highly reactive we are. Yep. You know, and when you know, as a mom, yeah, there's sometimes where we get to a point where we've compromised ourselves so much to meet the needs of the family. We've compromised ourselves so much to meet our husband's needs, right? You know, our day to day needs, the household chore needs, right? And then we get into this mode where it's like we're not taking care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So when we're in that mode and we've suppressed, 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 guess who's watching you? Right. Exactly. Guess exactly. who's watching you? Right. Like as a parent and actually as a therapist. Yeah. Right. So you know, the cool thing about DBT is that it really focuses on the therapist being genuine. And there's a lot of ourselves that we share with our clients. So I, sh- I mean, with boundaries, obviously, of course, right. And, you know, as a parent and as a therapist, I'm using myself, I'm modeling to my children and to my clients and to my children's friends and whoever I'm around of that. I can have painful emotions and I can, ex- I can experience anxiety or frustration, and I can let myself feel it yeah. without it being somebody else's responsibility. Right? Absolutely. Right. And, you know, we're not doing this intentionally, but again, these are high sensitivity children, right? Yeah. So they're going to read our emotions. And so we have to regulate ourselves as yeah. parents, right? And to say, okay, like, I know my kids set and they've gone into the room and slammed the door and they could be self-harming in there. I'm really scared. Right. But if I go bust in there and I'm like panicking, well, now our kid has their emotion and now our emotion to contend with too. Yeah. Right. So we need to take a step back and make sure that we're in, we call it wise mind in DBS. Yes. yes. Where we're acknowledging our emotions. We're letting ourselves feel our emotions because they're valid and make sense. And let's look at the facts of the situation. Let me get myself into a place where I'm not being reactive so yeah. I can be as effective as possible going into help my child manage their emotions because yeah. you can't pour from an empty cup. No, no. Right? And that and that is so important to understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You you being so um so overwhelmed so flooded so frustrated is impacting your child oh and yeah that's, that's not that's not the that's not what we want but 
this, can you talk about how this is definitely passed from one generation to another? Yeah. High sensitivity. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's the genetic component, right? With the amygdala, how the amygdala is built, right? So there's that genetic component and it comes out in different ways, right? Like not everybody is going to have that like high, like it's going to be self-harming, right? But you may have people in your um, family history who struggle with substance abuse yes, or with um, gambling or with whatever behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. And you can kind of look back and say, okay, like where's that really coming from? And it's usually a behavior that stems from a high sensitivity to emotion that, you know, back before therapy was, you know, a thing, people suppressed it the way that they suppressed it, right? And it could be avoidance, right? It's not always an explosive behavior. Sometimes it's that avoidance behavior, yeah, right? And it's it can be turned inward, right? So, um, so generationally, we learn from, you know, there's the biological component and then there's the learned component. Yes. Right? And, you know, we talk about generational trauma and we've all watched Encanto, right? So- being able to notice that, yes, we're all doing the best we can to do better than the generation before. Mm-hmm. And there are some things that do go generation to generation and it actually changes the DNA yes. of the children and the grandchildren when there's been a trauma yep. earlier in the family tree, Right. So there's genetic pieces, there's learned pieces. How do you deal with emotions, right? You know, I I joke all the time, like I'm Irish by heritage. Like our family doesn't talk (laughs) about emotions, how funny I became a therapist. Right. Right, right. But that was a generational trauma thing. Bingo. That's what I was hoping you would say. Yes, Mm -hmm. it's that generational trauma that gets passed. And it's it's, a lot of people... um, don't understand, like, wait a minute, my parents weren't traumatized. You know, there was nothing mm-hmm. that happened to them that was traumatic. Right, right. And it's like, wait a minute, just being in a household mm-hmm. alone can be traumatic because of the lack of coping skills. It right. can be traumatic because of, you know, they took that avoidance approach or that mm-hmm. explosive approach. So right. now you've adopted those similar behaviors to anything that you're triggered by. Right, right, right. right? And it's not and a we're capital it down. T trauma. But no. it's what we what we talk about in DBT lingo is it's a a chronic traumatic invalidation. Bingo. Bingo. Right? Because who who learned from their parents how to really manage emotions? Yeah. No. Right. Not a chance in hell. No. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. 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 You managed it or you got smacked in my generation, right? And you, you can't do that to your kids now. So you have to nobody knows what to do. Yep. Right. What would you say um, is, because I want to get into what parents need to know, right? Mm -hmm. Do's Mm -hmm. and don'ts. Yeah. With everything that you just shared right now Mm -hmm. about what parents need to know about self-harm, what would you say is the one thing you want them to do? Like, what is the one thing you want them to do right now to take action? Yeah. If, If they're saying, oh my God, dude, that's totally, you know, my daughter, or that's totally whatever. Right, right, right. Okay. Number one. Skill. Yes. Validation. Mm -hmm. Right? So validation is not giving in. It's not agreeing with someone. It's not saying, yes, you're right. Yeah. 
validation is being able to say to someone, I see where you're coming from. Yep. And what you're feeling doesn't make sense to me necessarily. And I can see why you're feeling it because it makes sense to you. Yeah. Right. Because what that technique does, and we can go deep into what, yeah, we're definitely what is validating. Right. Right. Yep. Right. Because there's a lot to it. There's a lot to validation. What you're showing your kid is that they don't have to suppress their emotions and their experiences and try to model what the, they think the environment wants of them. That's where yeah. problems happen, when they're shutting off and stuffing their own emotions and experiences, right? That's where the self-harming behaviors stem from. Absolutely. Right? Substance abuse behaviors, eating disorder behaviors, all these behaviors, right? Yeah. So if we teach them from as early on as possible, right? So I knew this before I was a parent. So I've been teaching my kids how to validate their own emotions since they were toddlers, right? Yeah. It makes sense that you're feeling the way you are. And I'm just going to sit here and we can sit in it for a little bit. We don't need to fix it. We don't need to make it better. We don't need to figure out what's the why for a, a adolescent, usually there is no why. It's just your amygdala is having a dance party. Exactly. Right? So like trying to fix it or find the solution or make it so they don't have to face these challenges, right? All these things are invalidations, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So to be able to hold space for someone to have a painful emotion teaches them that it's okay to have a painful emotion. Yeah. It's part Absolutely. of the human experience. How can we not? Bingo. How can we not? We have to. It's part of yes. life. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things kind of just what you, with what you were saying is if you have listened right now to Carrie and you're like, again, holy shit, that's Samantha. Holy shit, that's Tommy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or that's me. Like, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. We're going to go ahead in this next episode, we're going to go ahead and teach you the do's and don'ts, Mm -hmm. things to do to help your child, right? Right. Mm -hmm. If they are in that high sensitivity, high reactivity, or if across the board they're they're self-harming, we're going to teach you all the do's and don'ts. Mm -hmm. Definitely want you guys to go ahead and stay tuned because we're going to go into so much more information. (laughs) Grab a pen and paper, ladies, because it's about to get real. (laughs) All right. So go ahead and take the information you've been given, have a discussion with your partner. Better yet, let your partner listen to this conversation. Mm-hmm. Let your partner listen to this. Co- I shouldn't even call it a conversation, this educational class, because right, that's right. ultimately what this is. And even better, right? let your kid listen. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Let your kid listen to this. Mm-hmm. Let your kid listen to this episode. And you guys get to have a full on conversation with, holy shit, that's me. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, now I understand. Mm-hmm. And we don't even have to take it any anywhere more. For right now, it's like, okay, this makes sense. Yes. This makes sense. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you right now, the minute kids feel like this makes sense, so many things start to change, right? That's truly the process of change. Exactly. Exactly. All right, guys, hang tight because we're about to take you to the next episode. Many women lose their own identity in the shadow of being a mom and a wife. We are a community of women who support each other. We leave perfectionism behind to become empowered and unapologetic. 
I want to personally invite you to join our girl gang. It's a free Facebook community for women just like you. Go to www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash empowered and unapologetic. See you there. What's up, ladies? Just want to let you guys know that your ratings and reviews for this podcast are greatly appreciated. If you love this podcast, please go to iTunes right now, write a review, rate the episode, and subscribe. Don't forget to share it with your friends. Hey there, this is Casey McGuire-Davidson, host of the Hello Someday podcast. I'm an ex-red wine girl turned life coach who helps busy women change their relationship with alcohol. I spent 20 years climbing the corporate ladder while drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. In the Hello Someday podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You can find new episodes of the Hello Someday podcast every Thursday, wherever you listen, and I hope you check it out. I know. I know we've been taught that motherhood requires alcohol. I know we've been taught not to question our relationship with alcohol until we've lost everything. And I know we've been taught that if we do dare to examine our relationship with alcohol, we need to head straight to AA and declare ourselves an alcoholic who is powerless to alcohol forever. But what if all that isn't true? That's definitely not my story. I'm Suzanne, the host of the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm an influencer who stopped drinking in January 2020 and since then, I've been telling the truth about motherhood, influencing, alcohol, and sobriety. If you suspect deep down that glass or three of wine at night might just be making motherhood harder, well, you're right. Come and join me as I chat with other sober and sober curious moms. Let's laugh, cry, and normalize sobriety together, all while we reheat our coffee for the fourth time today. I know. I know we've been taught that motherhood requires alcohol. I know we've been taught not to question our relationship with alcohol until we've lost everything. And I know we've been taught that if we do dare to examine our relationship with alcohol, we need to head straight to AA and declare ourselves an alcoholic who is powerless to alcohol forever. But what if all that isn't true? That's definitely not my story. I'm Suzanne, the host of the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm an influencer who stopped drinking in January 2020, and since then, I've been telling the truth about motherhood, influencing, alcohol, and sobriety. If you suspect deep down that glass or three of wine at night might just be making motherhood harder, well, you're right. Come and join me as I chat with other sober and sober curious moms. Let's laugh, cry, and normalize sobriety together all while we reheat our coffee for the fourth time today. Hey there, this is Casey McGuire-Davidson, host of the Hello Someday podcast. I'm an ex-red wine girl turned life coach who helps busy women change their relationship with alcohol. I spent 20 years climbing the corporate ladder 
while drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. In the Hello Someday podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You can find new episodes of the Hello Someday podcast every Thursday, wherever you listen, and I hope you check it out. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope, listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.